The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. The buzz today, 2015. I have one for all of you. A question. Did you hear about the three tech visionaries who get together to gaze into the future? No, it's not a joke. It's real. They really do. And they're here with me today on this very special edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. So what strategic business disruptions do their expert eyes discern for this year, 2015? And maybe more important to all of you out there, what keen predictions will they make for businesses, for industry? and perhaps even for the world this year, it could be very, very game-changing. The first half of the show focuses on cloud computing, a really hot topic. We will feature Tim Minahan, a repeat guest, always glad to have him here, Chief Marketing Officer of SAP Cloud, in a point-and-counterpoint conversation with Jeff Kaplan, Founder and Managing Director of Think Strategies. Jeff is also a repeat guest, and we love having him on the show. Second half, Jeff will depart, and his chair will be filled with Paul Greenberg, Managing Principal of the 56 Group, who will go head-to-head, toe-to-toe with Tim Minahan, speaking again on the networked economy. Two really, really hot topics, cloud computing first half, network economy second half. So please stay tuned for the next hour for Business Trends 2015, Strategic Disruption in the Cloud, and the Networked Economy. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, and let's get started with our first segment on the cloud, a couple of introductory words. Ask 10 people what the cloud is, and I'm asking each of you out there, I can't hear your answers, what the cloud is and what can it do for business. I'm guessing there'll be at least 10 very different answers, and possibly some of them might be vague, confusing, conflicting, complicated. Well, many companies view the cloud today as a technology deployment model that will help them lower IT costs and increase their efficiencies. And what's wrong with that? But Tim Minahan sees the cloud a little differently. And we'd love to know what Jeff Kaplan sees out there as well. Let's find out. Welcome, Tim Minahan. Happy New Year. How are you, Tim? Hey, Bonnie. It's great to be here. Happy New Year. Wonderful. Thank you. Always looking forward to hearing what you've got to say and what your visions are. Welcome, Jeff Kaplan. How are you? I'm doing well. Good to be with you again. Wonderful. What a pairing here. We are so lucky to have both of you. Our format today, I feel like a moderator in a political uh, debate here, but it's, I don't know. It could turn into a debate. Our format is we have four questions on the table. I'll read each question one at a time. Address Tim first, then Jeff will comment. We're going to try and cover. Let's see. We've got about 23 minutes. Let's see how much ground we can cover. Tim Minahan, here's my first question. We've been talking about the cloud for a while. Actually, it seems like a long time. And we're finally starting to see widespread 
adoption. My question, Tim, what is driving the adoption? Well, Bonnie, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, the, quite c- candidly, businesses are under attack. Really, within the, the next five years, companies in every industry will be disrupted by an entirely new competitor or a new business model that will fundamentally shake long-held operating models and, and really begin to reset expectations for today's empowered and demanding customers. You know, and in the words, if I may, of the former Intel CEO, Andy Grove, they have two choices to really adapt or die. And just think about what we've already seen uh, in our personal lives. Remember what happened to Tower Records or, or how about Borders Books or Blockbuster? And think of them and then give some thought to how new cloud-powered payment upstarts like Square and crowdfunding businesses like Kickstarter and, and, and are shaking up uh, Goliaths in the financial services sector, or how Uber or Airbnb are tapping into the cloud to deliver services that are designed to change really centrally old models in the transportation and hospitality sectors. That's the type of disruption that's really accelerating this adoption to the cloud. Thank you, Tim. Jeff Kaplan, thoughts? Yeah, we I've got a couple of things I would add to that, and I think Tim yeah. is right on. There's no question that every industry is being disrupted, um, and when you add in the ideas of open source software, which um, now is being translated in the broader market into this shared economy idea, and then throw in as well the success of the first wave of SaaS and infrastructure as a service, and even in some cases platform as a service alternatives, what we're seeing is those um, those forces converging at a time when organizations are facing unprecedented competition, and again, as Tim indicated, um, rising expectations from consumers, whether they be individuals or corporations, and um, as a result, organizations have to respond accordingly and change the way they do business. Okay, Tim Minahan, any comeback to what Jeff added? No, I would agree. Folks are looking, uh, feeling a uh, increased need to be more agile to enable new engagement models with their customers, their employees, and their suppliers. And uh, they need to leverage these platforms like cloud to allow them to, to do that. Okay, let's move to question number two. This is really going quickly. I think we're going to cover a lot. Tim Minahan, so companies are not moving to the cloud to lower their IT costs and drive efficiencies, as I alluded to in the opening. Tell me what's really going on. Yeah, Bonnie, as with any new technology, adoption goes through phases. And the first phase of cloud adoption, no doubt, was driven largely from a technical perspective. You know, companies viewed the cloud, as you indicated, as a a new application delivery model that provided total cost of ownership benefits and IT efficiencies. But really, in in the past few years, the, the cloud has gotten strategic. You know, industry has transitioned beyond just the tactical PCO benefits and have begun viewing the cloud as as a platform for innovation and new engagement models and entirely new business models. As I indicated before, we've already seen this in our personal lives where cloud-based services like iTunes and, and Uber have empowered new business models that have fundamentally shaken the foundations of long-established industries, but we're now seeing this phenomenon in the business-to-business realm as well, You know, either through new payment and crowdfunding models or new omnichannel commerce models all made possible by the cloud. Thank you, Tim. Jeff Kaplan, what do you think? Well, I I absolutely agree. Um, The thing I love about Tim is he's really got a good sense of this marketplace, and what we're seeing confirms a lot of what he said. Uh, You know, it's kind of like Maslow's uh, hierarchy of need. Um, You you, 
you're obviously inspired or motivated to move towards the cloud because of the promise of cost savings or even a better opportunity to um, reap greater benefits from your your um, financial investments. But it is about the way in which the cloud enables organizations not only to be more agile, but to be in many ways more collaborative in the sense that it um, democratizes uh, access to applications and information and encourages greater interaction, not only within an organization, but uh, allows an organization to connect more closely with its customers and its partners. So for all those reasons, it allows a company to be more in tune with what's going on inside and outside the organization and therefore uh, keep pace with the growing competition and escalating needs of its customers and business partners. Thank you, Jeff. Tim, any comeback on Jeff's comments? Yeah, I, I would I would agree with Jeff. If you look at uh, the trans, transition of technology, you know, uh, 40 years ago, it was really focused on how do I create a system of record, whether that's a financial record, a customer record, a supplier record. But really what the cloud unlocks uh, is the ability to create entirely new systems of engagement with, with your customers, being able to collaborate with them in new ways through new channels, with your suppliers, being able to have that transparency into your supply chain that you may have lacked before. And, you know, so, so ultimately, um, the companies, what the cloud empowers folks to do, I like Jeff's term, democratizes business, it really uh, allows folks that share a business process, whether it's a customer and uh, your company or whether it's your company and your supply chain, to also share uh, the underlying technology that supports it. And it allows you to not just drive efficiencies, but also to gain new insights um, through that, uh, that connected collaboration. Jeff, anything you want to add before we move to question three? Just one thing, and that is I think there's a growing recognition that it's not the technology and software you have at your disposal, but how you use that software and, and technology to achieve your business objectives. And more and more enlightened uh, CIOs and CXOs are recognizing that um, that fact and are trying, therefore, to take advantage of software functionality and hardware compute power um, through an assortment of third-party um, suppliers, um, service providers, and recognizing that there's a benefit for, um, or that can come with aligning themselves with the leaders in each of those segments uh, and taking advantage of the success that they've had and the experience they have to uh, meet their business objectives. Thank you both. Let's move to question three. Tim Minahan, why do you think innovation has trumped the total cost of ownership in business decisions to move to the cloud? And what does the cloud offer businesses with regard to innovation, which is really becoming a more and more hot topic as we move into 2015? We even have a radio show, Tim, called Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, and we're launching another one called Business Innovation with Game Changers. That's how hot that word is. So talk to me, Tim Minahan. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to tune in. Uh, I think to answer your question, though, what, what Jeff said it best, it's, it's not the technology, but how you use it to enable uh, new business outcomes. So at the end of the day, businesses don't really care about technology, uh, which may sound like blasphemy coming from a, a technology marketing guy. But what they really care about 
are the business outcomes that technology can deliver. So companies are really looking to invest in the cloud as their innovation platform, as a way to achieve new processes and, as we just discussed, gain new insights to be able to run their their business in an entirely new way, not just do the same old things using a different delivery or, or pricing model. And uh, so, as I was talking about before, for the, you know, the past 40 years, technology has really been designed to establish that system of record. But really what we're getting to are new systems of engagement. And I think we've only scratched the surface on how we can transform entire business models, right? And I think folks like Uber and Airbnb are really challenging uh, because of the cloud, are really cha- creating new business models that challenge long-held beliefs on how business should operate. And you know, Tim, it's interesting. Um, everybody's now talking about with companies like uh, Uber and uh, Airbnb being so successful in the shared economy idea, uh, which I, I view as being an outgrowth in the tech world of the open source movement. It's the idea that people uh, not only want access to shared resources, whether they be hardware, um, um, compute power, or software applications, but in many ways they also want um, access to the best practices practices that are associated with them, and even the metrics of um, how you take advantage of those resources. So, you know, there's the old adage, you can't manage what you can't measure, but increasingly, uh, the the companies that we work with are not only asking, well, how are we doing compared to how we did yesterday in terms of our efficiencies, our cost savings, and our productivity, but they're asking, how are we doing in terms of our peers, uh, and in the cloud, there's the ability, without giving away proprietary secrets, to, in fact, compare and contrast your performance with your peers in a variety of ways, which I think um, not only business executives, but end users as well, are becoming more attuned to. And we're living in a data-driven world, uh, whether it's your Fitbit on your wrist for your personal needs or the dashboard on your computer that you use to uh, keep track of your business effectiveness. Yeah, I, I would I would agree, Jeff. You know, it is you look at those models, and you know, is is Uber a really great mobile application, or is it a a, a network of local inventory of, of travel services, right? And the ability to to have access to that. So I, I think it's, the answer is both. But I also agree with what makes it very powerful is once you get those businesses connected up, those those parties connected up, and and collaborating or transacting at scale. You know, the whole next wave of this are the new insights, right? The whole new level of analytical uh, applications or insights that you can gain to help make more informed decisions, not just from information within your own enterprise, but from information across a shared community of, of like parties. Absolutely. It, it provides the economy, but it also provides the ability to uh, uh, capture that information, collate that information, and share that information in a very, very powerful way. Uh, Thank you both. I'm going to sneak in a question of my own before we get to question number four. Tim and Jeff, any lessons here for startups that are just getting ready to launch? Should they be having the cloud, the word cloud put on the back of their sweatshirts or on their, uh, their, their desk paperweights or whatever they're using and say, we've got to get there, we've got to be there. We have so many great lessons to learn. Jeff talked about best practices and sharing and business models. Any, any quick lessons here for very small companies or those who are just preparing to launch in terms of embracing the cloud from the get-go? Tim first. Yeah, well, what I would say is there is 
no better time to <laughs> to be a to be a startup, right? So traditionally, you mm-hmm. had to uh, invest in big iron, you had to build the stack from the ground up. But as Jeff indicated, really what the cloud is about is you know entirely shared resources models, and you can uh, really tap into the capabilities you need to run your operations and really focus on the innovation um, that. Uh, that you can bring them bring to market. So I, I think there's no better time to be a startup. You can move much more quickly. The barriers to enter entry are, are much lower than they've ever been before. And you know, there's a good news, bad news to that. As I say to my clients and even to my kids, we live in the best of times and we live in the worst of times. And I don't think we have to do a lot of convincing of startups and entrepreneurs about the power of the cloud to give them uh, immediate access to very cost-effective uh, resources whether it's um, software or hardware compute power. Um, and, and I think they also recognize that it gives them access to a worldwide audience almost um, overnight. But the real problem is that uh, nobody can close the door behind them and prevent someone else going through that same portal, so to speak, to have the same ability. So a startup has to figure out, uh, just like any established company, how it's going to build um, not only a compelling solution by leveraging the cloud, but how it's going to use the cloud as well to uh, create a defensible position in the market um, when it's up and running. Yeah, agreed. I was uh, just reading uh, Amazon Way and, and one of the one of the key strategies where we don't need to be first to market. We just need to do it better, right? <laughs> Emulating a mm-hmm. uh, you know a good business model. And I, I think at the end of the day, really, what all this is boiling down to is uh, you know the, the the platform or the network wins, right? If you can establish just like you know Facebook has or you know or you know. Uh, just like Amazon has, uh, the the platform of the network, uh, it, it it really creates the high barrier to entry um, for for others because it's, you know what is the old uh, the old adage? It's so popular, no one goes there anymore. Well, <laughs> when it comes to business, if you can uh, uh, really connect up a company's uh, ecosystem, uh, you and you are the default place to go, um, then uh, it becomes very difficult for others to come and uh, even if they have a better product, uh, to come and disrupt that platform. Yeah, I might just add in, one, one more ahead, thing Jeff. about uh, yes. uh, the, the, the cloud idea. We have to be all very cognizant of the fact that it, the, the term cloud has been used to describe almost anything that relates to being online. And therefore, um, what any good startup also needs to do, just like an established company, is make sure it uses that term in a judicious fashion so that it's not trying to cloud wash what may not, in fact, be a cloud solution or service. Mm, thank you both for indulging my question. I know it wasn't in our plans, but it just seemed appropriate to ask, and uh, we got some great answers. So thanks for the advice. Tim, I'm ready for question four. Let's see how much we've got. uh, About six and a half minutes left. Let's see what we can cover. Okay. It's simple to say, Tim, that companies must find ways to leverage the cloud to introduce new engagement and business models that will give them what everybody wants, a competitive advantage. But affecting this kind of change in an established business, as opposed to we were talking about startups a minute ago, it's not always easy. Do you have any advice to offer, Tim? Yeah, Bonnie, we we're just talking about startups, absolutely. But most companies don't have the luxury of, of starting from scratch, right? Most mm-hmm. firms have long-held business models and a, an established operational and 
technology infrastructure and and really a legacy customer base that's invested in you know their existing products or services and is really paying the bills to keep the lights on so in order for companies to to tap the cloud as a uh, as an innovation platform they must really start by understanding the mistakes that other enterprises have made and and, and how to avoid them and i can boil them down uh to to really three things you know first bit of advice you know, don't get mired in that tco debate you know, we, we, we talked a bit about uh, how the first move to the cloud was around total cost of ownership benefits, IT efficiencies, and while the cloud certainly offers a cost advantage, you know, you should be moving to the cloud to look at ways to drive better business outcomes, to enable new engagement models and possibly even new business models. The second thing is you really just don't do the same old things in in the cloud. You know, many companies make the mistake as as viewing the cloud merely as a as a new delivery model or a subscription based pricing option. And and sure, the cloud frees you up from the headaches of software and hardware maintenance and and upgrades, and and it helps you uh, shift IT costs to a variable operating expense. But Savvy companies really need to view the cloud as something far more valuable, you know, a platform for, for innovation, and these firms are, are tapping into the cloud to, to unlock these new business processes and insights and to power new business models that, in many cases, were previously thought unimaginable. And then the last part, uh, which is relevant for, mo- for most companies, is don't feel forced to replace. You know, many companies have shied away from the cloud initially because they've been told that they need to rip and replace their established systems to take advantage of it. But the reality is this is going to be a, a hybrid world for, uh, for a very, very long time, and it won't be an either-or proposition. It'll be an, an and-better one. So when leveraged correctly, the, the cloud is really extending those systems of record, as we talked about, with new systems of engagement so that you can uh, effectively uh, manage a business process much better and much in a much more agile way than you could in the past. Thank you, Tim. Jeff, that's a lot to digest. I know you have some points and counterpoints to make, so you want to tackle it one at a time? Yeah, let's see if I can do that. Um, number okay. one, the connectedness idea, which I love, and that's really what it's all about. The cloud should allow organizations, both internally and externally, to become more connected. And let me just flesh that out a little bit. Uh, from a customer and partner point of view, uh, by offering uh, your functionality via a service, uh, you should have greater uh, ability to connect with those customers and partners because you'll be able to get a better view into how they're actually utilizing your service or solution. Um, And this is something that wasn't possible before when you drop that uh, shrink wrap product off at the back um, uh, loading dock. uh, It wasn't easy to understand how your customers and partners were utilizing that solution, and now you are able to see first how they're doing so and use the data from that um, interaction to help you, as Tim suggested, continuously improve the quality of your solutions as well. And um, if you do it correctly, you should be able to uh, give them some choices about how they deploy that solution, whether it be through a public or a private cloud. Uh, So that's one scenario thinking about from a customer point of view. 
if I'm the IT director or even CIO of an organization, I'm rolling out cloud for my internal purposes. Um, the same thing holds true. It gives me greater insight into how my end users and business units are using those resources. It gives me better data as to how I improve the way in which I procure, procure those services and distribute those services to my organization to improve operations and better support the business units. And of course, it also allows me to figure out how many um, outside resources I need in terms of public cloud services versus uh, maybe building my own private cloud resources uh, behind the four walls of my data centers. So it's all about connectedness, data, and providing choices to our end users, customers, and partners. Okay. Tim Minahan, anything back at Jeff? No, I, I certainly think uh, Jeff's point on on the connectedness is is key. I think we're we're going to see companies now really uh, moving towards more of a virtual enterprise. Uh, you know, 40 years ago, folks were highly vertically integrated. They owned uh, their manufacturing resources, their logistics resources, and, and the like. Flash forward to today, where you know everything from uh, manufacturing to customer service, uh, certainly to fulfillment, is is often outsourced, and that requires you to adopt new operating models to you know reach out and be able to collaborate outside your organization to have that transparency, and you know and the cloud really allows you to do that. And just connecting it up is phase one, but but ultimately, as Jeff said, the insights you can get from that. Um, from that shared community can help everyone in that community operate much more efficiently and in new ways that they never thought possible before. Thank you, Tim. Jeff, any comeback? Well, just one added piece to this puzzle, I think, and that is that um, as organizations look at the cloud, they recognize that it's not an either-or proposition, that there are a lot of different forms of clouds, a little, a lot of different ways of deploying them. And uh, getting back to another thing that Tim said, um, it shouldn't be either a radical or revolutionary um, change that they try to undertake, but instead an incremental and evolutionary transformation process that they uh, undertake as a journey rather than uh, thinking about it as a destination. Okay, I'm going to throw a little monkey wrench in here, and I'm going to do a lightning round we didn't plan on. I know you both are up to it. Tim Minahan, top three predictions for cloud in 2015. Give me just uh, three really short ones. Uh, you know, you know, number one, I, I think you know, cloud adoption will only uh, accelerate, but it's going to accelerate in, in a much more uh, hybrid fashion than originally thought. Companies will be looking to uh, to, to extend uh, extend their existing systems uh, with the cloud. Uh, you know, n- number two, I think you will begin to see a host of new, if you will, analytical applications uh, evolving. Uh, so, as Jeff indicated, you know, once you've begun connecting up companies, once you've begun automating the processes, it's churning off a whole new level of insights that 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 weren't. Uh, you know, that weren't available uh, before. You know, and, and, and number three is uh, I think we're going to see things that we, we can't even imagine today. You know, the, the good thing about the, uh, the cloud as a, as a platform for innovation is that, you know, as we saw with, you know, things like Uber and Airbnb and the like, um, there's entirely new business models that are going to evolve, and they're not just going to be in our personal daily lives like we've seen, but in the business world as well. 
Jeff Kaplan, you're up. Lightning round. All Top right. three predictions. Go All ahead. right, here are my three. Uh, number one, um, we've moved for, or we will be moving from a question of you know, what is the cloud and why is it important to where, when, and how do I take advantage of it. Number two, um, what we will see is, uh, to Tim's point, um, the cloud uh, being used to a greater extent to address the big data challenge, which is only getting bigger, by the way. And one of the reasons why it's getting bigger is my third prediction, which is that the cloud is going to bring to fruition um, a lot of new opportunities, use cases, if you will, around this other idea, which is even bigger than the big data and uh, cloud idea, I think, the Internet of Things that connected this to mm-hmm. the things that surround us, which um, will, in fact, transform almost every industry um, and is already touching many today. Um, what we hear about in terms of the consumer aspects of that world with the Fitbits and all the rest is going to be um, exponentially greater in the commercial and industrial world, uh, and it will be the cloud that helps to fuel that uh, transformation process. So how's that for three? That is perfect. Right on the money there. I want to thank Tim Minahan and Jeff Kaplan for a great session on cloud in terms of business disruptions and predictions for 2015. Jeff, we're going to say goodbye to you. I wish you a wonderful, happy, and productive and successful new year. You're going to stay in touch, and we'll get you back on another show soon. How does that sound? Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thank you. Tim Minahan, stick around. I have more work for you to do. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Tim Minahan will be joined by Paul Greenberg, founder, managing director of the 56 Group. We'll be doing our predictions part two, focusing on the networked economy. So stay tuned for the second half of our Business Trends 2015 Strategic Disruption Special, very special. And you know the drill. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at twitter hashtag sapradio Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. And now let's turn our attention to predictions about the networked economy. Hello again, Tim Minahan, Chief Marketing Officer for SAP Cloud. How are you in the second half now that we got you back, Tim? I'm well. Just getting warmed up, Bonnie. Okay, well, we've got a lot more to discuss, and welcome to Paul Greenberg, our special guest in the second half. He's the managing principal of the 56 Group. Welcome, Paul. Happy New Year. Hey, Bonnie. Happy New Year to you, too. 
Nice to hear your voice. Been too long. We have to do something about that. Not just today, but we got to get you back on the air with us. Paul, we're going to have 15 different radio series by the time March 1st rolls around. So I'm, I'm sure we'll find, uh, yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm sure we'll find a niche for you somewhere. So we'll get you back. So we're going to do the same format as before. I will read a question. Tim Minahan will get the point across. And in this time, Paul Greenberg will do the counterpoint and then we'll go back and forth and then I'll go to the next question. So I feel like a political moderator. Maybe I'm Candy Crowley in my next life. Who knows? Or, or Chris, Chris Matthews, perhaps. Here we go. Tim, today's, today's enterprise is more virtual and more connected than ever. We all know that. When it comes to managing the resources and processes that makes things go, do traditional model, models and systems still cut it or do we need something brand new? I would say we, we certainly need something brand new. And the fact is, you know, Bonnie, the world operates much, much differently today. You know, 40 years ago, companies were very vertically integrated. They, they owned everything from manufacturing to distribution. But to, today, in, in part because of the, uh, uh, the recession that we just went through, uh, companies have adopted much more variable operating models. They own less infrastructure and inventory and, and manu- manufacturing equipment than ever. They've, they've really outsourced everything from customer service to their supply chain, and a growing portion of their workforce is not even on their full-time payrolls anymore. So mm-hmm. today's enterprise is, in essence, a virtual enterprise. You know, companies operate on much more flexible models that require them to, to really rapidly assemble resources on a project basis to address, you know, the, the challenges of the moment and, and to disassemble those processes just as quickly to make their business more agile and, and profitable. They're increasingly looking externally for, for innovations, whether it's tapping into, into call centers or third-party logistics providers to help in new fulfillment models or to enable new models for, for customer engagement or even outside design partners and knowledge workers for uh, product and service innovations or or contract manufacturers for assembling products in in new and and more efficient ways. And and this requires an entirely new approach for for resource management. Thank you, Tim. Paul Greenberg, you're up. Thoughts? Well, I mean, I agree with Tim for the most part. Uh, The one thing is I don't think we're really at a black-and-white stage with this we're seeing a transition now to a world I'll call it virtual operations. I don't really think it's purely virtual business yet, uh, where on the one hand, lots of businesses have made changes exactly along the line Tim's talking about. On the other hand, there's still a lot of businesses that are requiring physical presence, let's say, of their, um, of their staff. There's a lot of businesses that are pretty well stuck with compliance and regulation that require them to stay where they are and move a lot slower than the economy really demands. You're also looking, though, at the same time as an employee, customer, a human workforce that essentially is saying, look, I don't want to work the way I used to work. And when I say that, I don't mean just millennials, by the way. I'm also talking about the impact mm-hmm. it's had on baby boomers who are still working, the impact on Gen Xs. On, it's not really uh, anymore a generational thing. This thing impacts every single generation. So you're seeing people saying, look, I want to work from home. You're seeing people say, I want, uh, I want to be more involved in uh, the digital side of work. I want to, I want to have a life, a life along with my work. Consequently, businesses are adjusting from that standpoint. Their operations are shifting to accommodate the needs of employees because of the talents and skills they require. And that is something that is inevitably going to ultimately prevail. 
But, you know, look, it's an earthquake. It's a tsunami. There's no question about it. It's a seismic change going on that's creating a networked economy. But, at the, you know, at the, end, at the end of a tsunami and after an earthquake, a lot of things are still standing, you know, and, and the things that are still standing right now, I don't want to call them impediments, but they're in transition at this point. So on the one hand, yes, absolutely, we have a, a whole different model that has been proven to be effective. On the other hand, there's still a lot of resistance, which is sometimes due to dusty thinking, sometimes due to reasonable requirements, sometimes due to just simply compliance and regulation, and other times due to just we don't have the resources to make the transition yet. But is it inevitable that we get to this transition to a fully networked uh, virtual operations kind of world? Yeah, that's going to happen. I loved your comment about dusty thinking, Paul. I've never heard that before I wrote that down. i gotta, got to make sure I, I'm never accused of dusty thinking, God forbid. Uh, Tim Minahan, you want to come back at some comments with what Paul Greenberg just added, please? Yeah, I mean, we were, we're certainly on the, on the cusp of a, a major transition. I think it is accelerating quite dramatically. Uh, there's a whole host of dynamics. Uh, Paul mentioned the, uh, you know, the workforce, right? You look today, and, and a third of the total workforce at the typical company is not on their payroll. Uh, that's the fastest-growing part of the workforce, growing 40% year over year. Soon it will be representing of more than half of the total workforce. And in some industries, it already is. Right, so one large pharmaceutical company, for example, more than half of their workforce is is not uh, on their payroll. These are temp workers. These are knowledge workers, SOW workers, and really, they've it, it's caused them to transform how they think about the workforce. They're moving from you know, is this a full time employee, part time employee, to where's the talent? They're managing pools of talent. They know where the skills are. They know where the resources are. They can organize them to address a particular job and then disassemble that team just as quickly. And you know, other companies, as we know, are moving to a more uh, new crowdsourcing of ideas and, and knowledge, right? We heard you know, all, what P&G is doing there, for example, and capturing their innovation out there, uh, a host of others. Um, or microtasking, really taking what was currently or traditionally performed by uh, uh, a, a, a single person and breaking that work into multiple and more manageable pieces and, and farming it out to a, a network of talent. And really, so every company is, is going through this transition, whether it's in the labor side, whether it's on the supply chain side, whether it's in how they're engaging the customer base. And, and yes, is everyone shifted to it yet? No, but uh, uh, the, the writing is on the wall that there is a, a new model for business. Thank you. Paul, any comeback on that before I go to question number two? Uh, just briefly. First of all, Tim's right. Yeah. I mean, right now the writing is on the wall and there's no question about it. And, you know, ultimately we're dealing with human demand, really. You know, we're looking at people who are saying, look, they always call for a work-life balance. I mean, I'm not, I can't say I totally believe in that idea since work is just part of life anyway. But, uh, but from that standpoint... People who are demanding that. The demands of the human beings involved either as employees and customers has changed so dramatically due to the communications revolution and the information transitions and, and revolutions we've had over the last uh, decade that the workplace is changing forever. It's just taking some time, but it is happening, and I, I agree with Tim. It's accelerating, and I think over the next few years we'll continue to accelerate. 
Thank you, Paul. Quick point from me. Uh, on one of our HR trends with Game Changers shows last year, somebody brought up the point that it's no longer called work-life balance because you're right. Who could ever do that? And what does it mean? It's now considered something called work-life integration, as you pointed out, <laughs> Paul. Yeah, we are working. We are living. We do have families. We do have things we want to do. you got to integrate it together. Don't even think about trying to balance it. Okay, question number two. Tim, going back to how we introduced this segment on Network Economy, what does the new approach actually look like? What can you tell the listeners that they should be looking for or looking to create? What are we talking about? Yeah, so business is is really no longer about just executing a process within a company. As companies look to uh, move to more variable operating models, as they've outsourced more, as they've tried to reach new markets and, and customers in, in new emerging markets, uh, they've, they've had to create a, a much more uh, networked environment. They've had to rely on a growing uh, part of um, partners. They've had to reach outside their organization. So it's no longer about just executing a process within a company, but across an entire value chain. And it's no longer just about the only the intelligence within within the enterprise, but the unprecedented access to the big data and, and intelligence of of multiple uh, networks, whether they're networks connecting to your customers or to your suppliers or other partners um, that are really developed through more more dynamic uh, digital communities. And it's not simply about automating and doing business processes faster, but really tapping the collective insights or networked intelligence and best practices to do things better and better in, in entirely new ways. And the only really way to enable this is through much more uh, dynamic and digitally digital communities that really connect you with um, the capabilities, right? So the applications in, in, the, in the digital world, the intelligence, as well as the, the partners, the you know, enabled partners that are ready to be discovered, to connect with in an efficient way and, and collaborate in the, in the simplest way possible. Simplest way possible. I think simplification is going to be a hot word for 2015 as well. And you know what I'm talking about, Tim Minahan. Paul Greenberg. <laughs> Thoughts, Paul Greenberg? What do you think? Well, uh, I mean, Tim's right, and I'm going to even take it a little further. Uh, From the standpoint of both thinking and execution, businesses have to start thinking in terms of what ecosystems, not just even sheer networks. Look Look at it from this standpoint. Customers are very demanding right now. I mean, they're more demanding than they've ever been, partially because, as has been pointed out, you know, in prior segments, too, they know more now than they ever knew before, right? They can find out more about businesses. We've seen the studies over and over again that say, you know, by the time in a B2B cycle in particular, by the time a customer comes to a vendor to inquire uh, with them, they've done 80% of their work, all right? 80% of the buying cycle is finished. So when they, by the time they get there, they're very well-informed human beings. Now, on the other, that, that said, um, it's very hard for a company to provide every single thing that a customer is looking for from that company now since it's not just a matter of a product anymore or a service. It's a matter of product, services, tools, and what I always call consumable experiences that need to be provided in a way that keeps the uh, customer in fully engaged. And, you know, we know the benefits of that engagement. I mean, Gallup did a study that said, uh, for a fully engaged customer, is a 23% premium over and above a normally, uh, let's call it a normally engaged customer, meaning that's a premium in revenue, it's a premium in uh, satisfaction and anything, any sort of metric you can imagine when it comes to 
businesses. Now, I, I, just to give an example of what I mean, um, well, two quick ones, actually. One is uh, one of my clients several years ago was uh, David's Bridal. And David's Bridal is, of course, the largest maker of wedding apparel in the world. And, you know, it's strictly North American in their, uh, in their reach. Now, the interesting thing about it was that at a certain point they developed, they realized that they couldn't just be a producer of wedding gowns and the other accessories that a bride or a bridesmaid needs. But began partnering with companies that did things like honeymoon. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so it would be cruise cruise lines or you know other other forms of vacation, uh-huh. those kind of things. They began expanding the area of services that they provided. They provided a whole ecosystem that was built around the wedding, which of course was a massive business enhancer. Another example, which is more germane to the way we all are living right now in our world, which is uh, I'm you know I'm I'm in the middle or I'm not in the middle. I'm at the beginning of writing a book on customer engagement for Harvard Business Press. And I've been doing a lot of research on uh, customer engagement technology. And I've found, for example, at right now, so far, 16 different technological components that would, that would at the moment, and again, this isn't necessarily complete, this is so far, 16 uh, technological components that provide, a, let's call it a complete ecosystem for customer engagement. And there's no way any one company could afford to natively produce all of those components. So they're going to have to partner with appropriate partners to actually make that happen because this, these are the things that customers are looking for. Now, they may not be looking for the whole array, but they want to know that it's available if they, if they need it down the line. So, you know, now, there are all kinds of business decisions I'm not going to go into, but this is ecosystem thinking. This is, if you're thinking in terms of ecosystems, you're powering the way, you're powering the thinking around the community, you're powering the thinking around the networked economy, you're powering the thinking around um, how a customer will engage with a company and how a company can engage with that customer to the optimal benefit of each. Thank you, Paul. Tim, I'm going to move to the next question because uh, it plays well into what we're talking about. Where do the networks come into play? Yeah, so really, if you think about it, throughout history, businesses have really attempted to capitalize on advances in technology to to really drive uh, not just incremental, but ultimately step changes in their performance, right? So the, the first wave of of productivity was really driven by, you know, client-server technology and, and desktop applications that really simplified tasks to make individual employees more productive. And then came, you know, the uh, enterprise resource um, planning applications, the ERPs, that, that really automated key financial and business processes and enabled collaboration uh, across the enterprise. But really, this this next wave of innovation, uh, we expect, will come from extending these processes and systems beyond the four wall of the four walls of the enterprise, and that's that's really going to be driven by by networks, which become you know multi enterprise platforms for more efficient collaboration, right? And you've already seen this in your personal lives, right? You know, if you think about the uh, you know, the, the the beauty of Facebook is not in its newsfeed feature. Uh, it's really that it's created the world's largest network for personal connections. Or the uh, the power of Amazon is not that it just offers the uh, the best prices on books. It's that it's created the world's largest and and most convenient network for for 
personal shopping. And you know, when when shopping on Amazon, for example, you know, as as Paul was just indicating, right, they've created an ecosystem that manages the entire process and simplifies the entire process. So, you know, consumers don't worry about connecting to individual merchants when they want to buy a book or a blender. It's mm-hmm. it's done for them. They don't think about how am I going to settle out at the end of the order, you know, which bank am I going to call up and, and try to pay, right? All those options are available for them. It's all done within the network. And so business networks, which are beginning to come onto the scene, really provide a, you know, try to bring this simplicity of personal networks to the business world to provide an equally simple and scalable way for companies to, you know, discover new trading partners and uh, auto-magically connect with them and and collaborate with them, uh, you know, and organize those trading partners and resources that they need to to operate in today's much more dynamic world. So um, within a few clicks, you know, companies can can shop for goods and services and place and manage orders and and pay for them all all electronically uh, end-to-end. And you know they can engage customers across multiple channels all through a, a single and, and connected platform, and that's that's really the power of, of business networks and what what we're really to Paul's earlier point just at the beginning of this journey. Paul Greenberg, business networks as communities. Add on to what Tim said. Counter. Oh yeah, no, agree? Tim is right in the right at the heart of it all. Right, I mean it really is this. This is the stuff that gets exciting, right? Because you see the world actually now. And, you know, Tim mentioned Amazon is, of course, always a great example because they actually have done this with enormous success in the B2C world. But the interesting thing is Amazon's also been doing it in the B2B world. I mean, there's Amazon supply, right? And, and it's funny, it's hardly ever talked about, but you know that's a $2 billion B2B component of Amazon's business. And... One of, there's been a few studies, and I did some research for a company earlier this year, and I found, I, well, let me rephrase it. This is secondary research, okay? This is not my primary result. This was Acuity uh, Group's results. But they found that um, 63% of the millennials and 31% of the baby boomers had ordered from Amazon Supply, and that the reason for it was that ordering from Amazon Supply, and this goes right to the heart of what Tim said, ordering from Amazon Supply was easier and just like ordering from Amazon as a consumer, right? It was simple, and it was easy, and it was effective, and you could get what you needed, and it was price-effective in addition because it was, you know, networked. I mean, so when, and the Acuity Group even found further that of all the respondents in, their, in this study, 63% of them said that they would buy online if the experience was more engaging and simpler, and really exactly to what Tim's saying. Now, the, the fascinating thing about this is that the power of this kind of community goes well beyond even just the transactional power of it, which is you're talking about a place for subject matter expertise. You're talking about a place where innovation via collaboration can go on. You're talking about, and, and that, by the way, that could be just simple feedback on one level, and on the other hand, that could be literally creating, helping create new products directly. Um, you're also talking about a place where the, let's call it the uh, active participants in the community can communicate with each other about something. Again, you know, Amazon's a great reference model and has been since the very beginning of its life, really. I mean, you know, one of the most powerful things that everybody does with Amazon for all kinds of reasons is that goes to the heart of, of this is the reviews. Simple as that. 
But now we're talking about in a B2B environment. Now we're talking about through business networks. Now we're talking about through extensive collaboration. Now we're talking about through interactive communication. We're talking about something now where the, where the, where the, the, the let's say, the, the data is there to prove that people will do it. Now the biggest issue is companies other than Amazon actually going and doing it. It's, not, it's a very difficult task, but we, that's what's exciting, that we are actually in the process now of getting things like this done. Thank you, Paul. I think we have about four minutes left. I'm going to move to the last question, which is kind of a wrap-up. So, Tim Minahan, what impact will all of this have on the way business is done? And you can use this as part of your predictions in case we don't have time for a lightning round. So what do you say, Tim? Yeah, so j- just as network-powered upstarts like Square and a- Airbnb are, are creating entirely new models that are, are transforming, you know, industries, business networks are really, you know, leveraging uh, companies using business networks are really leveraging the, the automation, the scale, and uh, the ubiquity uh, to further simplify the way that complex business gets done. Uh, and I know, you know, Paul mentioned kind of that first wave of networks is really connecting up uh, companies and automating the processes, but I truly do believe that, you know, the the next wave is really this whole idea of the insight, this networked intelligence that can be derived. You know, think about what's going on with Netflix right now, and uh, you, know, you go to Netflix, and based on your own buying pattern, or excuse me, consumption patterns, and uh, uh, those who have watched or uh, movies or TV shows that you, that you seem to like, they offer up new recommendations. Well, the same thing when you get these networks. Uh, transacting at scale can provide entirely new insights and alerts and uh, and best practices to uh, you know to companies and so companies are really rethinking you know because of networks rethinking their entire you know business traditional business models and organizational structures I'll give you one example um, you know one of the world's largest mining companies is in the process of building what will be the world's largest mine in the outer reaches of Mongolia. And networks are allowing them to do that. So they are using networks, first of all, to uh, you know, to build, uh, manage the supply chain required to to build entire roads and cities and telecommunications infrastructure where none exist. Uh, they're using networks to tap into uh, temporary workers and construction workers and engineering firms and and manage collaboration with them. And then you know, and then finally, uh, they're using uh, you know networks to uh, uh, to to train up and run operations for um, uh, the mine as it comes on as it comes online and at the end of this they'll be the uh, not only the largest mine but the single single greatest employer in all of you know in all of Mongolia and this is only possible through a networked model thank you Tim I have we are really out of time Paul Greenberg, I've saved one minute for you for wrap-up, and I need about 15 seconds to close the show. So, Paul, <laughs> Paul Greenberg, we didn't have lightning. We got lightning and let it strike right now. Go ahead, Paul. Tim's right. Here's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> a man of few words and great impact. Come on, give me one sentence prediction on networked economy, Paul Greenberg. One sentence. Well, I mean, the, Tim, Tim addressed it, really, which is the power of predictive analytics is coming in, and that's that's – that's the, that is the next phase. That's the thing that ties it together. Insight. Look, we're looking for outcomes here. We're not looking for technology, right? And when we're looking for outcomes, we see the network power. I mean, network business networks allow for speed and scale, and and that's that's immense. And we're talking about something that ultimately transforms the way the world works. Is it going to be easy? No. Are we going to get there? Yeah, and it'll be well worth it. 
Thank you to Tim Minahan and Paul Greenberg for a great segment. To my listeners, to our listeners, we hope the future-looking insights you heard today from Tim Minahan, Jeff Kaplan, and Paul Greenberg will inspire you to approach your business with a renewed sense of purpose, direction, focus, and most of all, energy in 2015. I'll save my predictions for another time. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. It's been great to host this very special edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. Shout-outs, Karen Master. Thank you for working with us and Tim Minahan on getting all these questions on the table. Dorit Shackleton, thanks for scheduling, Tim. Malcolm Kimberlin, thanks for helping put this together. And Justin and the Business Channel team, thank you. Here's my call to action. It still works in 2015, I hope. Fasten your seatbelt. It might be digital. It might be attached to a Fitbit. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.